Hello again, my gorgeous listeners, and thanks Mel for tuning in to another episode of Glow West, where we chat all about the delights of sex, sexuality, and the body. As usual, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm always delighted to be a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, me with the sex podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack to help keep the mics up and running. Or if you like, please pop over to Apple and write and review, and you can now actually review on Spotify too. They've joined the 21st century. So please do that if you like. And if you want to get in touch, the Instagram and Twitter is at Glow West Podcast. So as we know, we talk about sex work quite a lot on the podcast. We're a very sex work positive, sex worker positive podcast. Um, we do not have swerfs on this podcast. So today I am talking to someone who is talking about not only their career in, in sex work, but the experience of coming out and what it's like to be an activist and all how all those things kind of intersect with each other. She also has the best skin I think I've ever possibly seen on another human being, but we might get into that. We shall see. Um, (laughs) So today I am talking to Melissa Merman, who is a digital artist, writer, certified sex coach and former sex worker. She's an activist for sex worker rights in the movement to decriminalize sex work. Melissa with the gorgeous skin, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Fabulous, fabulous. It's yeah, people are like, what? How do you know that? No, we we met I think how many years ago is that now? I've lost track of time with the pandemic. Like five years ago, maybe? Twenty Yeah, and what and what I I I attended two sex educator conferences, one in Washington and one in LA. Which coast did we meet on? Was we were it in Woodhull LA. or was it Catalyst Con? It was Catalyst Con and then we went to LA. Fe- so that was Catalyst Con. Yeah. Yeah. And then we found a speakeasy bar in on Venice Beach and had a few a good few cocktails. Yes. Oh my god, <laughs> that was great. Yeah, you got some cocktails in me. I started sharing my secrets. That was fantastic. Yeah. That was so um, good. Yeah, wonderful. And 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 by the way, the secret to my to my fabulous skin is in my vanilla career. I I'm a, I mentioned I'm a photographer and a, and a you know photojournalist, and I have done trade with a skincare clinic in San Francisco. So I've shot all their parties and done their PR. And sadly, due to the pandemic, you know, that has shut down. So I've had to pay for my laser treatments. Oh, <laughs> the audacity. But that is, I tell people that that really is the secret. I've had to do the trade um, thing, but that is why I look so good. It's not, it's not just my, you know, <laughs> my, my, uh, my healthy lifestyle. And yeah. all that. It's, it's, uh, it's due to good uh, skin techniques. Oh, yeah. definitely. Well, you should do <laughs> so, podcasts on skin yeah. technique stuff as well. So uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be fun. So so you talk about... Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm actually kind of obsessed with it. Yeah. It's a, it's a fairly good thing to be obsessed with, no one for this. Um, so you you are a former yeah. sex worker, and this is a very new um, thing that you are talking about because you're at a very particular point um, in your life and in your yeah. career. Do you want to tell us a little bit? Tell us a little bit about where where you've come from, the kind of work that you did, and where you are now at the moment. 
Yeah. So I am actually coming out for the first time on your show, Caroline. Um, You have really pushed me to do this. You reached out to me on Facebook. Yeah. And I have been strategically planning this for years. I've been talking to a therapist. So, you know, my, my vanilla life, if you will, or civilian life, I've been an artist, a photographer, a filmmaker, um, and I became a certified somatic sex coach um, in 2015. And before that, I was an escort. But I also consider being a somatic sex coach a sex worker, because frankly, we are subject to the same laws around, you know, touching people for money, uh, giving people pleasure. Um in exchange for money, goods or services. And, you know, we also have to deal with the same crap that, you know, uh, PayPal and banks do to us. Um, As far as, you know, I've been shut down as a a sex educator from Stripe uh, because of the language that I used on my, you know, on my website, frankly. And I'm, you know, I'm teaching people pleasure and you know i'm a, i'm a shame slayer and it's ridiculous what you know how the criminalization really of sex affects all of us you know um and that's something that i really want to change yeah it, it, it's just like pleasure is such a dirty word when it comes to law and and capitalism but like guns aren't and like evil stuff in the world isn't yeah it's 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 amazing how much violence i see on shows that it gets a pass and anything you know that resembles a female nipple (laughs) gets like nudity and an r rating it's just it's it's i don't know it's just ridiculous to me and that's something that i'm hoping to change also just by being out as you know a sex positive person um and as a former sex worker and just having conversations around this i've i've come out um as a former sex worker and people have then come out to me privately you know at parties and other events saying oh i want to talk to you about this because i am a sex worker and i have no community or i don't know where to go for this and just being able to talk about this is so important. And you mentioned one of the things about, I you may get to this, about coming out, why it's important. Um, I think it's similar to the gay, trans and gender, you know, being gay or transgender fluid. The more we can show the world we exist, that we're human, that we're not damaged, um, the more we can be humanized, the more normal we we can become. And I think that that's part of the path of decriminalization. You know, I think that that's so important. I, I think of 50 years ago and, you know, in the Stonewall movement, that was the beginning of it. And then Ellen coming out, you know, in the 90s, being gay and starting to, I think, more trans actors coming out. Um, like, like, um, who was it? Laverne Cox, um, other, other actors, it's becoming more accepted in the mainstream. And that's really exciting to see. So when my father said to me, why the hell do you want to come out under our name? You know, the family name. I said, because dad, it needs to be normalized. There's nothing. It's like, basically my father's like, good for you. You're a former sex worker, but could you please stay in the closet? (laughs) Because we don't want... We don't want to be connected to it. I think 
especially my father, there's a whole thing about fathers raising their daughters to be good women, whatever that means, you know, Um, and having a conversation around, well, what would it mean, dad, if I came out as queer? And he's like, oh, that's different. And I was like, well, how so? And having a conversation of what it means to be a whore versus what it means to be gay. And, you know, and just that of like a woman who he's like, well, that's different. Like being gay is, is different because that's who you are. And I was like, but choosing sex work as a job or a career, that's like, that is who I was. Like, that is who I am. That is what I believe in. Why do I have to hide that? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And like going back to your previous comment there, I think, you know, I always hate the idea of anyone suffering in silence and feeling alone and not, you know, just feeling stuck. And the fact that people have come up to you and said, I'm a sex worker and I need to find community and stuff like I'd hate for those people to, you know, have to go through, you know, it's a difficult job, you know, to have. I'd hate for people to, you know, go through that on their own. But I think Mm. people have so many misconceptions and stereotypes about what sex work is and they don't understand there's so many different levels to it and different experiences and do you think like is is your dad understanding of that do you think or is it just oh my god it's sex work I don't want to deal with it I think my father, like so many people, you know, we talk about the hoariarchy and I'd like to d- mention the hoariarchy, which is a stratosphere of sex work, right? And uh, the stratosphere could be like, often strippers feel like, you know, they're maybe at the top. They, you know, they work legally in a club. Um, They're not having sexual intercourse, you know, or doing sexual services, if you will, with clients, but they are stigmatized. You know, they have, they deal with the same stigma that I think that that's the umbrella that covers us. It's like, that's what we're all under is stigma. Um, And then, you know, I guess the lowest rung might be outdoor based um, street, you know, street work based sex work. Um, And, you know, that's the stereotype of, you know, the drug addicted uh, woman, she's poor, um, you know, she's pimped, that sort of thing. And then, you know, when I came out to my dad as a somatic sex educator, but I am touching you know, I am doing sexual services. I'm touching people. Um, my father said, oh, but what you're doing is noble. <laughs> and I said, well, oh. that's wonderful, dad, that you think that what I'm doing is noble, but in the law, I'm still a prostitute. And I like to remind my dominatrix friends what they're doing is still prostitution. You know, all of it is is still under, is still Ill- illegal, you know, in this country and most of the world, that the definition of, you know, giving sexual pleasure or, you know, sexual services for money or, you know, items, you know, goods of, of value is illegal. Like it's, it's that, it's that umbrella. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I just think that that's, that's really important. Also, I, I wanted to say porn performers and strippers, yes, their their job is legal. But then again, it's also highly stigmatized. Mm. You know, porn performers also have lost their banking and have no rights. And that's what why decriminalization is so important. When I talk about it's not just about 
people who, you know, prostitutes, people who have sexual intercourse for money um, that are, are criminalized. But the whole thing of people, you know, losing their housing, their, say, regular jobs when they're found out to be former sex workers. I know of a teacher that lost their job when they found out that they used to be sex workers. And there's no legal recourse for that. That's, That's what's incredible to me. Yeah, it's disgusting. Like it's, you know, I, I did my PhD on the experiences of women working in porn and they talked a lot about stigma and one was, kept getting fired from bar jobs because she'd done porn. And it's like, it's not as if a, a bar job, you know, it can be seen as this moral standing as such. Like it's just right. a job. Like you're not working with children. You're not working in a you know a delicate environment it shouldn't matter and it shouldn't matter for any job it shouldn't matter right it shouldn't matter at all matter for any job but it is i mean it's amazing like OnlyFans has just taken off huge in the pandemic where people lost their jobs say you know working in the food industry and and sex workers that were working with people in person like strippers um, you know, have op- have started OnlyFans. And it's it's amazing. I, I, I read about a, a woman that started an OnlyFans and then went back to her job as like a gas station attendant and people found out what she did and she was fired on the spot. And at the same time, she's like, wow, I'm so glad I was fired because now I'm actually making real wages that I've, you know, saved enough enough money to buy a house. And it's just sort of ironic that people turn their back on on people like also empowering themselves, like making money, you know, and it happens to work crap hours. Right. Yeah. It's just it's it's just amazing to me that supposedly we're, you know, um, were bad for making money and, you know, being empowered. And and maybe that's how the people stay in power that set up these laws. I mean, I think about the men that criminalized sex. I mean, maybe there was a, a whole reason. There was a whole reason behind why they did that. Um, they didn't want women to have the means to have the power um, to yeah. make their own choice. They you can't know, control it. Well, it's really interesting yeah. that you say that because a lot of the the people and more specifically the women who do OnlyFans, they get quite a lot of backlash from from guys. And they're just like, look at these OnlyFans sluts and stuff. And they, they're really angry that they have to pay to see these women instead of like, a, you know, a free porn thing. So there, there's an anger right. of like own, seizing the means of production. You know, it's not viewed so well. And they, they do experience quite a lot of violence for that. And even going back to your point there about the teacher, I remember reading, and um, I forget the lady's name, I think it was Stacy, And she'd worked in porn for something like nine months in a really difficult time in her life. I think it was like a survival kind of thing. Um, and then became a teacher. And the boys in her class found out I don't know how old they are I think teenage kind of time I think Mm. um and they shared the video around and she got fired and the school board was like we can't guarantee that like you know this she's gonna be a moral person and there's no mention of the fact that that work was weaponized against her there was no punishment for like the boys just like saying hey we're, we're just gonna share all this around the school like it was all just like this is all her fault and we won't punish any of the boys involved in this like the hypocrisy is unreal 
It, it really is. And it, and it makes me think of, you know, I watched this great documentary called The Lavender Scare. It was it was like a docu-series. And people, I think a lot of people forget, I, I think um, there was a time when gay men were being fired from public schools. There was this whole thing because gay men, uh, you know, were, you know, they, there were men, right? There was a whole thing of men. What am I trying to say here? <laughs> Um, I think there was a man who molested a child, right? And he was gay. And there was an argument that it became all gay men are child molesters and we can't let them near our kids. And gay men were getting fired from their jobs and they had no legal recourse. Because And, it, and it's kind of like a woman who does porn, a woman who is a sex worker, is bad because sex is bad and she's sending the wrong message even if she keeps her job private it's just amazing to me that you know even if it's kept private it doesn't matter it, it's like she's bad so again the whole thing of of you know working in sex and then working with kids or working in education is also you know taboo i i keep thinking of my hero shannon williams who was a Berkeley public school teacher who was set up in a sting by cops, by the Oakland police in the early, like 2003. And because she was a Berkeley public school teacher, she just wasn't like an ordinary woman. Um, it was picked up by the public press and she was on the Bill O'Reilly show um, defending herself as a public school teacher. She had to come out to her young sons when oh. she was fired. And before Shannon died a few years ago, it's really tragic that she died. She spoke to a bunch of healthcare providers about having to come out to her eight-year-old son, who her son was made fun of in school because everybody knew about her mom. And she said she had to take her son aside and she said, you know, mommy gets paid to make men feel good and that's illegal. And her son said, well, that's really stupid. Oh, and bless. it was just so, it was so moving to me. Yeah. And she was my hero. Shannon was the first person I knew to use her legal name in sex work, because after that, she had absolutely nothing to lose. She was amazing. Absolutely amazing. She and 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 I met her early on when I became an escort and she used to have these big like horror brunches at her house on Sunday where I met all these other sex workers in the Bay Area and they were like telling me stories and I was all like new and I learned so much from them. It was really great. That's so yeah. lovely and it just yeah it's like that it's a real binary isn't it between like a good woman and a bad woman and you know you, you can't be both like she couldn't possibly be a good woman and a teacher and be involved in selling sex at the same time it's like we have that binary of you're either you're good or you're bad and you can't access you know either once you're tainted and it reminds me a lot right. of um do you remember um chris is it Kurt? Christy or Kirsty, I think it's Christy Mack, and she she was a porn star and she was brutally assaulted by her ex yeah. called Warhammer. And it like it was basically attempted murder. Like it was uh, horrific the injuries that she was left with. 
Um, and people like in court, his lawyers argued that she couldn't possibly um, be sexually assaulted because of the kind of content that she did. And people online were like, you know, abusing her and saying she was making it up and all this kind of stuff. And it was like she wasn't permitted to have any kind of empathy or victim status or to be even seen as a real human that deserved, you know, right. love and care and kindness during an absolutely horrific time. I mean, Imagine, I just don't know how lawyers sleep at night at the best of times, but arguing that in court, basically that sex workers can't be assaulted because of their job. Like, that's just so vile that, like, how, how, oh, it just really infuriates me. And it just, you just think. Right, right. Just from, just from even, even doing, right. Just from even doing porn, right. Porn is looked upon as like sexual assault and therefore they can't be sexually assaulted. I mean, the same thing can be said, you know, for in-person sex workers. Um, there was a whole movement during the Me Too, uh, you know, movement. Uh, a bunch of, you know, so-called feminists said, well, you know, men should go see sex workers to get out their aggression and rage and sort of leave the good women so alone. Awful. Like sex workers can't be, you know, don't have consent. They don't have um, agency. And it was just unbelievable to me that they were saying this. I mean, that's how sex workers were completely left out of the Me Too movement. It, it was yeah. crazy to me. And also going back to porn, it's funny to me how, you know, porn actors, how, how like, you know, regular actors are like, well, I don't do porn. I mean, I was nude in this scene and I was like faking having sex with this person, but I don't do porn. It's this whole, like, we've got to put them under us because, you know, porn people don't, you know, it like what you were saying, like people wouldn't say the same thing thing if you know Gwyneth Paltrow was assaulted or raped or you know hurt by her husband people wouldn't say well she deserves it because she did a sex scene once and therefore she is a terrible person and a whore but as soon as somebody you know makes a living you know in the sex industry they're they're just considered bad deserving of violence and and death I mean, it's it's amazing, that line. And that's something that I want to talk to people about, about how we unconsciously think of this. I mean, before I was a sex worker, I think I kind of didn't, I had never met or I had met sex workers, but of course I didn't know it because, you know, people aren't out. But I was really fed the lie that people who are in the sex industry, like, you know, why can't they get a regular job and all that bullshit? And it was amazing that when I actually stepped into the work, I was like, wow, was I fed a lie, you know, <laughs> through, through the media, through movies, through our parents, all of that. And we don't even know that we're soaking in it, you know? Yeah, it's, it's constant, you know, that that kind of idea that you're just poor, helpless victims in need of, of rescuing. And even that was present when I went to the AVNs, they had a few like religious stalls there who were trying to save the, the porn stars and giving them little mini Bibles and things like that. And, you know, they were like, Jesus loves you no matter what you do. And it, it was a very kind of like, no matter what you do, you know, so despite the fact that you're a sex worker, Jesus will still love you. Like it was just very loaded and very, oh, yeah. um, you're, you're a sinner and you will be forgiven kind of thing. 
Right. Or, or, or like the anti-trafficking people like, oh, you poor sex workers, you don't, you, you just have Stockholm syndrome. You don't know what you're doing. We'll just rescue you from these, you know, these terrible clients that are, you know, giving you money to live and, you know, helping you pay your rent and helping you thrive, you know, and, and all that. And, and, and it's funny to me that they'll, you know, they always say that they're going to save and rescue. There's never anything about money or jobs or housing. It's just like, we're going to rescue you with Bibles. Like, you know, it's so funny. There was a whole thing. Project Rose was this, this thing where um, in Arizona, you know, cops set up a sting to arrest, um, to arrest prostitutes and then put them in this program. And I sort of think of it as the gay, you know, the whole thing of like gay conversion therapy, you know, to try to like turn you straight. And like, it was 98% of the people that did the program went right back to sex work within two weeks because they were like trying to get them into quote, real jobs, like shitty minimum, minimum wage, um, jobs. And they, it, it like doesn't address the whole thing of, of capitalism. And, you know, it, I, I like to point out to people, the one industry where women or people who present as feminine make more money in every aspect than men is sex work. It is the one thing like it or not, in porn, in stripping, being an escort, massage services, you know, um, dominatrixes, they make more money on the whole than than men. I mean, it's a supply and demand thing. And that like, I mean, you can't pay your rent with a Bible, like you pay your rent with your, <laughs> your thing. And this it's a it's capitalism and poverty of like, you know, like in Ireland, there's been many stories about people who have to go out and buy, you know, their Christmas presents. How are they going to do that if they're poor? Like your minimum wage job doesn't go very far. We also have a housing crisis at the moment. And it's like, that's yeah. why a lot of people are trapped in poverty. So giving someone a Bible um, is not going to get them to go, I'm going to leave sex work now because you have to keep a roof over your head and keep your kids fed and buy your Christmas presents. Right. And even just one of the, the um, <clears throat> excuse me, the similarities I told my father that I see in, you know, being a sex worker versus say, you know, I've, I've been a, you know, a, a, a photographer for 25 years, you know, doing gigs, you know, working events. Um, is that you work for yourself, you create your own wages, you you brand yourself, and you decide who your clients are that at least that's who I was as, as a sex worker. I know not everybody can 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 do that. I understand that that that's privilege. But but it's so similar to I think, you know, when I've worked for the man when I've made $12 and 50 cents an hour, and was told what my hours were. Um, and I've had many of those minimum wage jobs you know, in between me working gigs as a photographer, because it didn't pay that well. You know, um, that's the thing. I mean, you work in sex work, and then uh, they're like, oh, go get a job at McDonald's or Walmart or, you know, Target or whatever, being a cashier. And, and it's like that poverty is violence to me me like the whole thing of you know you then you have to get childcare for your kids and that costs money and you're trapped in this vicious cycle you know absolutely so yeah. I, I I guess I really saw saw sex work is similar to like you are an entrepreneur you are calling the shots 
And, and that's where you, you had asked me in one of the questions, that's where it is empowering, but it's empowering the sense that you're working for yourself, you know, and, and no one can, you know, you decide when you want to work. Um, and, and that for me, and I'm not speaking for all sex workers, that's what made it empowering for me. Okay, because yeah, that's a conversation. I think a lot of feminist arguments are really quite reductive around sex work. And it's only sex work when we have this conversation of is it empowering or is it exploitation? And it's like, every job exists in some kind of binary as or in, in some kind of gray area in between those two very polar opposite things but it can also be both at the same time it's like like you said you're not speaking for every sex worker because how how can we speak for everybody but this is your particular experience so that's just as valid and we need to hear that too because we only hear the tragic stories or else the super empowered pro-dom who's making like 10 grand an hour or something like that. And there's like, there's so many other experiences. Right, right. There's all these nuances. I, I've always wanted to do a YouTube video like that would explain the whole thing of, um, you know, what it means when these so-called feminists want to want to save people in sex work. I want to I want to show up as one of them to like a Starbucks and and say, oh, um, uh, Miss Caroline West, uh, we see you here making minimum wage behind the counter like as a barista. And we heard you have a doctorate. <laughs> In, in sexuality, um, we think this is tragic, and we we'd like to save you from this horrible, you know, profession where they're you know they're they're paying you shit. Like that would never happen, right? Like nobody would ever show up to your job and and pity you for for working in minimum wage. And yet, when I worked in minimum wage, when I was twice the age, you know, in my forties, working with these twenty year olds in a sales job. I was more ashamed of that, you know, the embarrassment that I have all these degrees and all this experience, but, you know, my, I couldn't make the the same money in photography as I used to. I mean, that's frankly, that's the big reason that I got into sex work um, is, is money. You know, it wasn't like, oh God, I've always wanted to do this. It was like, wow, this pays really well and I can make my own hours. And I, I actually enjoy this. It's, it, it was, it was great, but that was the shame for me is like going back to that in my 40s, like going back and getting a minimum wage job. It sucked. Yeah, yeah. no, a hundred percent. And yeah, a lot of people are like, you, you people must get into sex work because they love and sex all day. And it's like, no, it's like I need to live and survive as as well. So. Yeah, and sometimes that was a perk. Sometimes you get a really hot client. You get somebody that was like quasi famous, you know, and you would like text your friends in the bathroom. Oh my God, you'll never guess like who I'm, <laughs> who I'm, who I'm with. I mean, it was wonderful. And, and I think the other thing that was really cool, why I call myself the naked therapist on, on Twitter, is um, we got to see sides of people that they never showed to anyone else. And I have to say, it was kind of an honor to be the secret keeper of people, you know, and, and, and also hearing the same story over and over from middle-aged men. Oh, I've been married for 20, 30 years. Um, you know, my wife and I, we don't have sex anymore. I can't talk to her about my kinks. I can't tell her that I like this or she'll leave me because I really love her and I'm scared. And like holding men that would cry in our arms, you know, telling us things that were so beautiful, you know, that they couldn't even tell their therapist. And I'm thinking, my God, 
it, it is just unbelievable that we, we in a way are naked therapists with our clients. And as a sex coach, it was like kind of the same thing, holding people and seeing their tears. Um, one of my clients for I had was a, a cisgender woman client. And um, she, you know, she, she was molested when she was a girl and uh, she had never, she came to me, she were about the same age, I'm 53. And she came to me just after, like in her early fifties, and she had never had sexual touch from a woman. And she was a lesbian. And uh, I was the first one to give her sexual touch. And I'm so honored to be that person to do that in a safe space where I'm not going to hurt her. She can trust me. And I'm so happy to say like she found a group uh, like a lesbian meetup group. And I'm hoping that she's dating. I mean, that's like what I was like coaching her for because I mean, again, it's almost like we are therapists that we want our clients to like get wings and fly. At least I did. I was always sort of talking to my clients about, well, how could you have a conversation with your wife about your needs? Some of the clients I saw, their their wives knew that they were seeing sex workers because they weren't interested in having sex anymore. You know, so it was kind of like a, you know, uh, you know, what is it called? Like a school pass. Like you can go have this pass because they needed to stay together as a family. You know, many people do that. They're essentially like roommates Yeah, and that's yeah. okay. You know? Yeah. And much so, more common than we think. But then how, how do you balance things then? Because you've got sex work activism, which is um, exploring, yeah. you know, and advocating for the rights of sex workers. And you've got those stories about having those particular lovely clients who are great. But then the narrative that we hear about sex work is, you know, that workers are abused and the clients are awful and exploitative, exploitative. Um, and, you know, yeah. they don't have those stories. They're just nasty. Like where, how do you balance all those competing narratives with your experiences, with feminist discourse, with sex work activism? I mean, that seems like a lot of narratives to try and juggle. Yeah, I think I think it's so important to be in your own narrative. It's so important for us to not speak for others because that's what the Swerfs do. I mean, I always I was just like on a on a pod, not on a podcast, but it was like a Zoom call of people talking about, you know, the pro and for, uh, you know, decriminalization of sex work and all of the anti sex work people. I, I asked them, I said, have any of you done sex work? And do, are you friends with or know any sex work and sex workers? And none of them, none of them said that they actually knew any. And I'm like, well, then shut the fuck up. Like, really shut the fuck up. Like, if if you're against abortion and you and and you're like and you don't have a uterus, shut the fuck up. Like, I really feel that way. Like, really, you have no, Get you should not even be in. The <laughs> yes, exactly. And I actually a lot of time use, you know, when I try to explain to civilians the whole thing around what um, the whole anti, you know, a, a lot of sex, a lot of feminists who are anti-sex work um, are pro-abortion uh, and pro-choice. So I like to turn that on their head and say, so you are pro-choice, 
for you know women to be able to do what they want with their bodies when it comes to abortion but not what how they can make their money and what they do for work and and of course they you know they don't they don't really see that um, and, and, and the other thing I wanted to get into, and I don't know if you were going to talk about the Nordic model, yes. which is sort of the, what they think of as the compromise where instead of arresting, you know, sex workers, they, um, they say, oh, poor sex workers, you just don't know what you're doing. You're, you're victims. We're going to go after those, you know, your clients, you know, which are, which are, are giving you money, which essentially kills the sex worker. It's like you, you, you kill this one thing. But then they know that it's a way of killing, you know, in their mind of killing the industry. And I like to say that if you if you go and you murder all the abortion doctors, abortion doesn't go away. It goes underground. And who dies? Women. (laughs) And it's the same in sex work. Sex work, the whole end demand movement, that's that's what um, the Nordic model, end demand. They will always be a demand for sex. It is in our fucking DNA. It's why we are here. Our parents fucked and we are here. You know, I like to tell people this. And so the whole thing of trying to kill sex and the demand for sex will never go away. It just pushes it underground. It is like the prohibition movement in the United States in the 20s. All it did is it bred corruption and people died from you know drinking poison because they didn't even know what they were drinking and and there were more more alcoholics at that time you know it's kind of funny that when you deny people something that they want they find a way to get it yeah no absolutely and you know for listeners who want to learn a bit more about that if you just go back a couple of episodes we had um with nina she she went through the different models and like you said like the nordic model is just it's just not doing what it does in theory but this is you know the sex work activism part of that it's it's really hard for a lot of sex workers to come out and argue their case of why the laws are bullshit and they don't actually protect them so then it's left to this kind of very middle class white feminist kind of approach sometimes and you know we we don't hear very many sex workers in that debate because of all the reasons you've outlined because of the stigma and the hardship and the discrimination and and all those kind of things like so is is it going to look different for you advocating for these laws um you know to just you know join the 21st century and reality um, as part of your sex work activism, being out, like how, how will that, do you think people will listen to you more as a person with that particular experience or does it make it easier or harder for you to advocate then? Well, I think, I mean, I think again, like putting a face to someone saying like, hey, you know, you liked me before, Melissa Merman, the photographer, the artist, the good, the good person, the good hearted person that volunteers, I'm still the same person. Just like when you find out your aunt or uncle is gay, they're still the same person that they that they that they were all along. And it forces people 
to change their mind of who they think a sex worker is. You know, one of the bumper stickers I saw in Portland was, you know, sex workers are everywhere. And I think, you know, I wrote a, a, a piece um, in my subset called Superheroes and Super Hoes. And it's like superheroes walk amongst us, you know, in the, you know, in like Clark Kent and all these people, like they don't realize that he's a superhero. People don't realize that you could be at work and the woman that works next to you, you know, does phone sex to make extra money, you know, or there's a woman moonlighting as an escort, you know, um, all these things we don't realize. They're just not out about it because of the stigma and because of the laws. And I think the more we can come out and put a face to it, the more we can normalize it. And that's the path to decriminalization. Um, yeah. And I also yeah. wanted to talk about that we in Oregon, which is really exciting, we have a we have a, a ballot measure coming up this year. I am so excited to decriminalize sex work in Oregon. Wow. And I think that that's going to be really similar to, you know, the gay marriage laws that started. Um, what was it in 2008 where it was uh was it 2008 where it was completely, uh, it became legalized, uh, gay marriage became legalized in all states, I believe. It, it started sure. in Massachusetts. Yeah. It started in Massachusetts in 2003, and then state by state, it fell. Similar to cannabis laws, marijuana laws. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that we're going to see full decriminalization worldwide, you know, in the next five years. It certainly is very decriminalized here. You can't, you know, every single block in Portland has a weed store on it. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I'm not surprised that that, that yeah. Oregon would be the place to have sex or decriminalization on the ballot because it is that very liberal kind of, you know, and harm reduction oh, and approach as well. Absolutely. And did you know, did you know Portland has more strip clubs per capita than anywhere in the United States? I did not really know cool. that, but I suppose I'm not I surprised. Know. Like people in yeah, Oregon sound not- like they're having a great time. They are. I mean, and yet, and yet we've got the Proud Boys and we have a oh, yeah, lot of conservatism right outside Portland. I know people forget, they think like Portland is this little blue dot amongst a lot of, you know, a lot of hardcore conservatism here, but it could be the laws, how they set it up, you know, when the, the pioneers came here. But I think that that's also why this law, this, um, this ballot measure actually got on the books, which is going to be amazing if this passes yeah, here. That would be um, and also, I think in I think in San Fran in, in the city of San Francisco, it was decriminalized just just within San Francisco. So hopefully, more cities are are following suit. Um, New York, I've heard laws. Um, you know, they there was a whole thing about carrying condoms. Um, you know, was you yeah, know people that's right. or they were getting arrested. The whole carrying condoms law, and that's and they struck that down. Which again, it's little things like that. Are, are, are big wins. So we're hoping that, you know, more and more states will, will follow suit. But I think it's, it, it starts with, you know, they say it starts with me. It starts on the local level. Co- why coming out for me is so important. And just one by one talking to my friends and family about it saying, this is what a sex worker, you know, looks like. Um, here are some great writings by sex, you know, sex workers. Uh, one of my good friends is a filmmaker, um, you know, and I talk about her work. I think it's so important for for 
people to see us as human, just see us as human and part of society. We're, we're like one of you. We're one of us. We're, we're human and we deserve rights. We deserve not to be arrested. We deserve not to have violence. As a, as a pure basic measure of, of humanity in that. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think, you know, be, before we kind of finish up, like, do you think that the yeah. digital age and, you know, the, the stratospheric rise of things like OnlyFans has really changed people's perception of sex work? Because, you know, a lot of, um, say, escorting and, you know, street-based work and, you know, in-person sex work would obviously be a lot anonymous. You know, you can do it and people might yeah. not find out. But obviously, if your content is online, line um, and it's your neighbor doing it they might not work in LA in the porn industry but they might do it from their house in you know um, Main Street wherever so do you think that that's really changed the conversations that we were having about sex work and sex worker rights as well well I, I think that the horiarchy I'm going to bring the horiarchy back comes into play that I do see a lot of people um, I mean like remember when you know the pandemic hit and people like Bella Thorne you know who's like a mainstream actor went and made a million dollars on OnlyFans in one week by like showing a topless photo um <laughs> right so so yeah it became more accepted you know that regular people um were doing only fans and at the same time a lot of people said but i don't do porn you know i don't play with myself on camera and i don't have sex on camera and therefore i'm not a porn star and therefore i'm still legitimate and i'm still good and then you even have people that do porn that say well i'm not a whore i'm not an escort i don't have sex with strangers for money so you still see the stratosphere going going on on there um but i do think it you know since only fans is in the news it's in mainstream press now it, it has more people talking about it which I, I which i think is wonderful but you certainly still see within the sex worker worker community people throwing each under the, under the bus which really makes me sad and i see it all the time and i kind of get it to why they do it it's often for legal reasons i mean dominatrixes especially you know put on their site you know i do not offer sexual services you know for the reason that they could still get arrested <laughs> for having a man tied down to you know tied to their saint andrews cross and you know they're they're touching their genitals it doesn't matter if they're whipping them it still can be a sexual service you know they're so it has to do with the law as well. The law is making us do stupid things and say stupid things and keeping us in the closet. I mean, frankly, that is what has kept me in the closet for so long. You know, a lot of it is just the legality of it. And now that I'm in a place in my life where I'm financially secure, I own a house, I'm middle-aged, and I think something about when you become middle-aged, you just stop giving a shit. You have yeah. less time, you have less time on this planet than you did that when you started. And all I can think of is Kathy Bates and like fried green tomatoes smashing her car over and over and over again to in in the parking lot and and the young women coming out saying like, "Lady, are you fucking crazy?" And then she says, basic girls I'm older and I have more insurance and I and I think of like the young escorts who are just like oh my god I'm so afraid of turning 30 I'm gonna have to go get a real job I'm gonna be old and I was like 
oh, honey, I got started at 40 fucking two, you know, <laughs> it was like, I have a whole other career behind me. No. And then when you like, you know, go into menopause and you hit 50, you're really like, oh, what the fuck am I hiding for? This is my life. Why am I com still compartmentalizing my life? And like, when I'm talking to people, having to censor out so much of like my, you know, my, um, my friends, what I do, my, my activism, you know, almost all of my friends in my community are in the sex worker community. And I'm so tired of having two worlds, you know, like the superhero world and then the, you know, the world, the ordinary world on earth. I want to, I want to have them together. Finally, that's why I want to come out as one human being you know yeah i know and i wish you all the best with that and i think it's just such a a fab thing that you're doing because what you're doing is creating a safer world for others and a world where nobody yeah. has to be lonely and and you know engage in work where they're lonely so they they can find community and support and like you said like that the whore brunch you know back at the start of your career and you learned all that nice things it's nice to learn from other people and keeping yourself safe and keeping yourself successful and all those fabulous things. So, um, Melissa, you're a joy to chat to. I could chat to you for hours and unfortunately we don't have hours, but we will have you back on actually maybe like after the, if the law passes, you know, we'll have you back on for your reaction to that. So um, where can people find you if they want to follow along with your, your activism and all the fabulous things that you are doing? Yes. Well, I, I am just finishing up my website. Um, you know, my main hub is melissamerman.com. It's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-M-E-R-M-I-N.com. And my Twitter, that's where I'm most active, is naked underscore therapist. Brilliant, brilliant. We put links to that in the show notes as well. So Melissa, it, it's been an absolute ple pleasure and a privilege. And thank you so much for um, popping your cherry with me about being open about yeah. your experiences. I feel honoured. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. It's been it's been an honor and a privilege too. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks to all my listeners as well. And again, remember wherever part of the world that you are living in, there will be pretty much be guaranteed that there will be a sex worker rights organization in your area or nearby as well. So if you're looking for resources, please do reach out there. They're generally run by sex workers themselves. So you can get the kind of support um, or the community that you want to have as well. And enjoy and I will chat to you next week.